on-base percentage instead of Here's batting average. Here's the pitch by Downing. Wars. Swing it. There's a drive into left center field. That ball is going to be. Peter Kreutzer. Out of here. It's radio. gone. It's 7-15. There's a new home run champion of all time. And it's Henry Aaron. The fireworks are going. Learn to play the winner's way. Because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for the week of March the 8th and show number 8 of the 2013 Fantasy Baseball season. I'm Patrick Davitt, your host, and in addition to Tout Wars co-founder and commissioner, Peter Kreitzer will have our regular contributors from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our National League analyst is Harold Nichols. Our American League analyst is Baseball HQ columnist Jock Thompson. In our regular Minor League Minute, Rob Gordon looks at Boston shortstop prospect Xander Bogarts. And in his Master Notes, BaseballHQ.com publisher Ron Chandler has a two-part Master Notes extravaganza talking about 12 reasons not to draft Mike Trout. It's another big show. Thanks for joining us here at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? The World Baseball Classic is underway. We gotta talk some baseball. Yes, the WBC has started. Already been a couple of upsets, some great games, a few disappointments with players leaving their teams, but it's going to be a fun tournament to watch. Now for the first inning of our show, our League Watch News reports. Jock Thompson is on deck with players from the American League. And leading off, it's the National League and our old friend Harold Nichols. Nick, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Thanks a lot, Patrick. Dan Becker at BaseballHQ.com, Nick, had an interesting column on sleepers. And normally when we look at sleepers, we think of these rising young stars, a guy who's just going to sneak into a job in spring training and then and go wild in the, in the regular season. But Dan looked at it at a different kind of sleeper, and that's a guy who's just kind of boring and seems to fall off everybody's radar, despite being a pretty good hitter with some credentials and some track record. And one of the guys he looked at in that regard was the Milwaukee outfielder Norichika Aoki. You know, Norichika Aoki had one of those seasons last year that, that uh, snuck under the radar because he did not start. He, he wasn't a starter in April, uh, and so did not get a lot of attention and, and really picked up his playing time as the season progressed. Only 23 at-bats in April. Uh, hit, hit 300, but, you know, still pretty well under the radar. But from May 1st on, really from June on, he was a regular. Uh, after June, he stole 28 bases between June and the end of the season. Um, here's a guy who could hit 300, steal 40 bases for you, and not a lot of people know about him. Yeah, the uh, first pitch forums uh, uh, speaker notes are now out and available at baseballhq.com. If you didn't get to the forums, and one of the things that was in there, I noticed was a, a note to be careful about stolen base guys. Uh, that is, especially guys who derive most of the value from stolen bases who are over age 30. Yep, that's true. And uh, you know, they they tend to lose their speed as they as they get older. There, but there are a few guys that have hung on. You know, you look at Juan Pierre, uh, the guy still knows how to steal bases and still knows how to use that speed. And Elke is kind of in the same mold, a guy a, a big ground ball hitter, um, a good solid speed and apparently good knowledge of of uh, of uh, 
being able to steal bases. That's something that goes uh, unstated a lot of times, isn't it, Nick? That the the key to stealing bases, a lot of people thought, was just pure foot speed. But anybody who's been really successful at it over the years will tell you it's a lot more than that. It's it's a lot more about understanding pitchers' moves, about understanding hitting counts and, and pitchers' counts, all these kind of things that go into it. And that's an experience thing, which is an age thing, which seems to offset maybe the the lock the loss of foot speed over time. Absolutely, yeah. I noticed that uh, USA Today this week had an article by Harold Nichols of BaseballHQ.com. Congratulations on that. It was a piece on neglected veterans, so something of a theme. And one of the guys you looked at in that column was Michael Kadire, a first baseman and outfielder in Colorado. Yeah, you know, it was interesting, that, that piece in, that, that I did, and it was completely independent of Dan's piece, but we covered some of the same players. But Michael Kadire, you know, Michael Kadire is another guy that, uh, that is uh, actually kind of flew under the radar last at the end of last season because he got hurt. Uh, oblique injury I think it was early in August and so missed essentially the last two months and so when you when you look at last year's stats it looked like Michael Kadire had a eh, kind of season in Colorado but in fact over over a short shortened period 16 home runs 58 RBIs hit 260 but a 296 XBA so here's a guy that could be on track easily for 25 home runs for 80 to 90 RBIs and close to a 300 batting average you got to keep in mind also he's eligible at two positions. He's fully eligible, more than 20 at first base in the outfield, which is not as good as third base and second base, for instance, but it's still a help. And I noticed that his power index was not fluky. He's had been over 100 power index, which is above league average, plenty of times in his career, and over 125 three times last year, 2006, and 2009. So whatever else we say about Michael Kadire, this guy has real legitimate power, and Coors Field can't help but uh, boost that a little bit. Yeah, very definitely. And the interesting thing to look at with Kadire, too, is last year's numbers were not Coors Field aided. That is, he did as well on the road as he did at home. Uh, if he gets a little help from Coors Field, who knows what he could could produce. And he can get you a couple of bags, too. I think uh, 11 a couple of years ago, 8 last year, and as you said, he missed some time with the injury. Um, gosh, if you can get uh, 15, 20 home runs out of a guy or more and possibly 10 or 12 bags a year, now you're talking about some real value, especially, like you said, his expected batting average flirts around 280, 290 most of the time. Now the question is, how serious was this injury, Nick, last year, and how much risk to, attaches to him because of that? And he is 33 years old. Yeah, that's true. And so you, you have to you have to keep that in mind. And, I, and you know, it, we don't think it was a serious injury. It's something he should be fully recovered from. But you're right. At that age, those injuries start to pile up. At BaseballHQ.com, the uh, starting pitching buyer's guide columnist is Stephen Nickrand, who always does a great job. He's got his sleepers list out that has a whole bunch of different uh, criteria second half surgers from last year he's looking at some one split away type pitchers guys who can have a really good record except in one regard he's got some outliers as far as rates are concerned and he piled them all up and looked at all these various kinds of sleepers and one of the names that came out for him was the atlanta youngster mike minor you know mike minor is a real breakout candidate i think if you look at he had a really bad first half last year and kind of slid off a lot of people's radar as one of those guys who, well we thought he was going to do good but yeah and a 6.20 ERA in the first half, but a 4.74 XERA. So not nearly as bad as he looked. And the problem was his control was a little bit off and walking too many guys. Put it together in the second half. A 2.21 ERA in the second half. 
Uh, got his control down to walking 1.7 guys per nine innings. Here's a guy that looks to us at Baseball Light HQ as though he could have a real breakout season this year. And also that walk rate is doubly important because, as Stephen pointed out in the article, nearly all of Miner's problems last year came when he had guys on base. Instead of a 8.1 strikeouts per nine dominance rate and a 2.4 control rate walk rate, all of a sudden he gets a guy on base, has to pitch from the stretch, and all of those numbers plummet. His strikeouts drop under six. His walk rate goes up over th- almost three and a half. His ground ball percentage uh, stays about the same, but his base performance value when you add up all the metrics drops from 94, which is elite, down to 26, which is barely end of the bench. So if he controls the walks, he benefits in two ways, Nick. He, he, he Obviously, his whip improves and he has less guys on base who can score, but he's a better pitcher without guys on base uh, as, as most pitchers are. But in his case, it's really, really important. Right, very definitely, and that's really the key, I think, to uh, to minor success is being able to keep those walks under control this season. And finally, uh, Doug Dennis, our bullpen's columnist, also looking at sleepers, which he describes as relievers under a dollar who have significant upside primarily because of skills. He also talks a little bit about the possibility that guys will improve their roles. And one of the guys he mentioned in the National League amongst a pretty interesting list was, talk about under the radar, George Contos in San Francisco. Yeah, George Cotto is a guy who's really way under the radar, but if you look at what we've got at Baseball HQ, here's a guy that we rated as a great A. Lima pick. He had an excellent season last year, 2.47 ERA and 44 appearances, 44 innings pitched. Uh, great dominance, uh, good good control, um, really produced an, an outstanding season. Now, he didn't do as well his first season in the majors, although that was a shortened season. So, you know, maybe you have to be, be a little careful, but here's a guy you should get for a buck who really could go into an expanded role in San Francisco. Uh, Sergio Romo is, is out there as the closer, but uh, there's some possible health issues. So, you know, Contos is a good guy to pick up at the end of a draft. He's not likely to hurt you in ERA or whip uh, and could work his way into a, into a bigger role. Especially since standing between them is Santiago Casilla, another right-hander in San Francisco who has been that setup guy in the fall, fallback closer position. But Contos was actually quite a bit better in 2012, so it's not completely out of the realm of possibility that if Romo does hit the shelf with an injury this year, it might be Contos who gets the call. Yeah, very definitely. I mean, there's certainly an opportunity there. And last, year the, uh, uh, last year, the Giants had to go to a bullpen by committee and uh, then, then look for Romeo, Romo to kind of emerge from that uh, as he, after some struggles that he had. So uh, that, that is a, that's something that's in their history uh, and uh, something that's certainly going to happen again. Nick, now that you've uh, been published in a national newspaper, are you going to wear a fedora that has one of those hat bands with a thing in the th- that says press? That's what I need, uh, definitely. <laughs> I can see that walking down the streets of Baton Rouge. And, uh, where I'm sure it'll be really popular, the newspaper people being so popular in political capitals. Nick, thanks very much for doing this. We'll catch up with you again in a week's time. Thanks a lot, Patrick. Harold Nichols writes the National League Central Division Outlooks for BaseballHQ.com, among other things and is our National League analyst here at Baseball HQ Radio. Now let's turn to the American League and BaseballHQ.com. Jack of all trades, columnist Jock Thompson. Jocko, welcome back to the show. Thanks, PD. How you doing? Doing pretty good. Glad to see some spring training games are underway. Maybe starting to see some position battles uh, shaping up. There's, of course, plenty to talk about still with things that are a little bit up in the air. But before we get to the those kind of things, the news this week was another injury in New York. The Yankees have learned they've lost Mark Teixeira for 8 to 10 weeks with a wrist injury. This is uh, terrible news for the Yankees on top of the Granderson thing. A-Rod's out. Can, can anything go right for these guys before opening day? Yeah, it's like the issue that never goes away, isn't it? Um, uh, Granderson, A-Rod, Teixeira, 
And uh, you're looking now at someone like Kevin Euclid, who's going to see some time at first base, it sounds like, and it, that's going to improve his versatility. But uh, the Yankees as a whole, if, if you're looking at that team to pick up players for counting stats or pitchers for wins, you got to think twice now. Well, you say the Yankees as a whole, and if you look at their offensive lineup, it's pretty much nothing but holes. Robinson Cano in the third spot in the lineup looks pretty solid, but you got to start wondering where where's the lineup protection going to be for him, uh, who's going to have on base in front of him, if anyone. I suppose Gardner is going to be at the top of the order. There's a possibility that Brett Gardner could benefit from this because they might have to run. That's that's a real good point. Uh, if, if the Yankees have to run, you know that Brett Gardner is going to be in the vanguard of that. Um, that is an excellent point. I wouldn't be surprised to see him um, up his up his running game just a little bit. Yeah, there was a point that was made at the first pitch forums. I just finished uh, helping produce the booklet that that's going out. If you didn't manage to get to first pitch forums yourself, you can uh, go to baseballhq.com, look around and and order the uh, the book that resulted from it. It's really interesting stuff. A lot of talk about the Yankees, of course, uh, including a, a bold prediction for where they're going to finish in the American League East. And gosh, if you're a Yankees fan, you might not want to you might not <laughs> want to read about that. Uh, Jock, you, you mentioned Kevin Euclid. It's possible that Eduardo Nunez is going to get a lot of playing time over at third and spelling Derek Jeter at short. Um, and in that same uh, First Pitch Forums magazine that we just produced, somebody made the point that uh, if Eduardo Nunez is playing a lot, that's good for Nunez, not so good for New York. Yeah, that's a good point, too. Nunez is another one of those versatile guys who can play a lot of infield positions, and uh, and that whole infield is 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 up for grabs. And, and just to add to your point about uh, Brett Gardner, Nunez is another guy whose primary skill is, is his running game. So he could, he could up his running game as well. But he's a pretty poor fielder, and I'm starting to wonder, boy, when you look at, a, at an infield that's made up of uh, Euclid at first with his uh, dodgy back, he's a pretty decent first baseman. Cano's solid at second, but Jeter at shortstop, uh, and he hasn't been that uh, nimble or spry the last couple of years coming back from a broken ankle, can't help. And then you got Eduardo Nunez at third. I don't know if I want anybody on the New York Yankee rotation at this point in my fantasy roster. Yeah, that's a good point too. If you're if you're a right-handed hitter, why aren't you trying to roll the ball up the third baseline or or even pull the ball that way? Nunez isn't really much of a hitter either. It's his value fantasy-wise is all wrapped up in his stolen bases. Now, how about on the free agent wire? Is there any chance that they signed Travis Hafner in the offseason, who all of a sudden looks like he might get some at bats in that DH spot? There are a couple of other uh, players out there. Yeah, Hafner's interesting because he's a left-handed hitter in that short porch, and if he if he gets 300 at bats, he, he could conceivably hit 20 homers if he stays healthy. Um, there's there's all kinds of aging free free agent hitters out on the market. Uh, uh, you've got Carlos Lee, you've got Aubrey Huff, even Johnny Damon, who the Yankees are swearing right now that they won't sign. They're all low-priced free agent options. Uh, then again, they're old and and they're they're all uh, you know potentially injury prone. Um, the Yankees are kind of between a rock and a hard place, given their strategy, which which seems to be not to add salary and to try to get out from the luxury tax, while hopefully some of their kids develop. Um, it, it's a real interesting situation. Jock, you had a American League West divisional outlook at BaseballHQ.com recently, and let's talk about the Rangers. Their ro- their rotation is a kind of a mess now with Martin Perez, who is going to be the fifth starter. It looks like he's going to be out for a couple of months. Got nailed in the arm by a line drive. Martin is out for probably at least eight weeks. Uh, and before that, uh, Alexia Gondo is really giving the Rangers some, con- some concerns. In his first couple of al- outings, he just gave up a ton of hits, didn't strike out many. His fastball velocity was down, and he was having trouble with the two pitches that make him as a reliever, his fastball and his breaking pitch. 
Now, since then, Ogando put up a pretty good outing yesterday in which he struck out five and three innings, so the worries have backed off a little bit there. But uh, the bottom of that Ranger rotation is interesting. The, the guy we have to watch right now is Robbie Ross, who pitched four innings of, of, uh, of one-run ball yesterday. As you know, he was a reliever that uh, uh, came from pretty much out of nowhere last year. He was a lefty specialist. He got a lot of ground balls. He's going to need more pitches as a reliever, and he's going to have to go deeper in games. So he looks like the lead for that number five spot right now because it sounds like the Rangers have sworn they're not going to be signing um, uh, Kyle Loesch. Which was the rumor for a while. Instead, they signed Derek Lowe, uh, really reaching into the free agent pool down around the bottom of the barrel. uh, But they say he's not going to be used as a starter. Yeah, well, if you look at what Derek Loesch did last year with Cleveland, uh, there are all kinds of reasons for him not to be used as a starter. His his dominance, his his strikeouts per nine inning, pretty much fell through the floor finally. He averaged 3.5 strikeouts every nine. He can still get you ground balls, but his ERA was uh, 5.11. His expected ERA was close to that. Uh, he's just not a starting pitcher anymore, so they're hoping he can throw some ground balls out of the bullpen. And to go along with a 3.5 strikeouts per nine dominance rate, a 3.2 walks per nine control rate, which means uh, he's in that fairly elite territory where he's walking as many guys as he's striking out, which is not what you want. Uh, any chance we're going to see Colby Lewis a little earlier than was first reported? Uh, they said it might not be till the All-Star break. Yeah, and that's the rumor out of Texas right now. They're saying that Colby Lewis is making all kinds of progress. They say he's ahead of schedule. They don't want to activate him before June, but that might depend on where Texas is in the pennant race. If Lewis could come back, there's a guy who looked like he was having kind of a breakthrough season last year. His He had a ridiculous 6.6 command, something like a, a, an 8-to-1 strikeout-to-walk rate when he went down. His ERA was, was at 3.43. He could really help the Rangers, but ideally they would rather hold him back to make sure he's good for the stretch run. Jock, as we went into spring training, the Detroit Tigers were telling everybody they were committed to their closer being the rookie Bruce Rondon with his 100-mile-an-hour fastball, but apparently had a little trouble getting it over the plate. He's sporting an ERA over 7 in spring training as we speak, a 273 whip ratio, and he has six six strikeouts, but he's got five walks to go with it, uh, flirting with Derek Lowe territory on the strikeout-to-walk ratio. So the Tigers are backing off. They're not quite as enthusiastic as they have been. General Manager Dave Dombrowski was quoted as saying now it's an open competition and manager Jim Leyland publicly mused about getting Jose Valverde back on the roster last year's closer. So if it's not going to be Bruce Rondon who closes the games because this is a pretty good Detroit club there could be a lot of saves to be had. The Tigers have a good bullpen uh, not not including uh, Bruce Rondon. They have Joaquin, Joaquin Benoit, Benoit or Benoit who, um, who, is, who has had problems closing in the past. Uh, Leyland doesn't like to go go to him every day. They also have Phil Coke, uh, a lefty who's who's done pretty good in certain situations. The guy that Doug Dennis likes, and I like uh, too. Uh, Doug wrote about him this past week in his bullpen sleepers column. Is Al Albuquerque, a guy with just unbelievably good stuff. He missed most of 2012 with elbow surgery. But he came back late last year with his nasty stuff intact. Uh, he he too was unable to pitch on back to back days then. His only drawback is control, because this is a guy who has a 13-plus dom in major in his major league uh, career. He has a 60% ground ball rate. He has yet to give up a major league home run in over 50 innings, so he's not giving up a lot of hard contact in the air. If he can start going on back-to-back days, 
this is a guy I would stash uh, uh, in uh, in a league if uh, if I'm looking for for Detroit's next closer. Yeah, Albuquerque leads the Tigers uh, so far in spring training. Again, as we speak, he's got five innings under his belt, ten strikeouts already, but he does have four walks. And as you mentioned, you can't have that kind of high walk ratio when you want to be a closer, at least not for long. Although, like you said, if he's not going to give up home runs, then walks become way less problematic. Yeah, particularly as a closer, you're asked to go that one inning, and uh, and you're right, that's his that's his downfall is is the walks. If he could just tamp that down a little bit and keep that nasty stuff, uh, he's an interesting name. Well, lots of owners uh, like this situation being unresolved because it gives them a bit more of a chance to speculate on a guy like Albuquerque, uh, which you're not going to be able to do if it's three weeks before uh, opening day and Detroit says, hey, he gets the job, then everybody knows about it and you can't do that fancy speculate. And, uh, Jock, speaking of bullpens, Dave Adler at BaseballHQ.com recently had a facts or flukes column looking at the situation in Oakland where Grant Balfour is the incumbent, but he has a history of some injury problems and inconsistent results. He had the job last year, lost it, got it back. Uh, what are you looking at when you look at the Oakland bullpen? I agree with Dave. Uh, Balfour has always been uh, hes been a good relief pitcher, not a great one. Uh, his, 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 his dominance has always, or at least recently, hovered in, in the 8-9 range, which isn't, isn't dominant for, a, for a, a, a dynamic closer. It's good. Um, he he was lights out in the second half of last year. His 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 dominance, his strikeout per nine, rose to over ten. I don't know if you got to watch him. His his command was really good. Uh, he um he, he was outstanding at the end of the year, but his history is one of volatility, and now he's injured again. I just don't see him lasting all year long as the as the uh, as the Oakland closer. And the interesting thing about that is Oakland's another team with all of these nice live arms like Ryan Cook and Sean Doolittle. These are two guys who just need a little more experience and confirmation of their skills. Um, either one of those guys could step up and, and put in a decent half season as the Oakland closer. So if you're if you're chasing saves, Oakland is another place to focus this year. Yes, uh, Ryan Cook did a good job in the closer role last year, for a while at least. I'm not sure I see Doolittle because of the bias against left-handed closers and the need to have them standing by for those lefty versus lefty matchups, which don't always occur when you need them to in the ninth inning as far as getting a lot of uh, saves. Chris Olson had a column recently at BaseballHQ.com looking at the outlook for the American League East, and among other things, he touched on Brian Roberts' hot spring. Now, Jock, can Brian Roberts really make himself a viable fantasy option at second base again for the Baltimore Orioles? You know, I don't think so, but 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 that's just me. I, I think people are getting excited about Roberts because he's had 13 at-bats. He's had a bunch of extra base hits, uh, two doubles and a homer. He looks like the old Brian Roberts, but again, th- this was a guy who, who before um, 2010 – for five years had had averaged 280 and 30 plus steals and double digit home runs but now over the over the past three years he's had less than 500 at bats he had concussion issues then last year his concussion passed but but he had groin and knee problems that's a lot of time to miss three years when you've just turned 35 there's a real question in my mind whether roberts can do this all year but when you're looking at his past and you're looking at Camden Yard as a good hitting venue, some people are getting excited. I'm not, I'm not sure I would do that one unless I could, could handcuff him to some of the other uh, Oriole uh, second base options there because I don't see Roberts holding up. Yeah, and the problem with handcuffing to some of the other second base options is the other second base options aren't that good. This is true. Uh, you've got Alexei Casilla, who, who couldn't make it in Minnesota. He's a, he's a good base stealer with a, with a high percentage rate, but uh, soft contact, not very aggressive. 
Um, you've got another guy, Flaherty, who uh, doesn't have a lot of experience. He's, he's interesting in that he has a good home run bat and good loft to his swing. Um, but, yeah, there's, there's really nobody right now that you can say, yeah, that's the person that, that, that the Orioles are going to tab at second base. If you're a dynasty player, you might want to look at Jonathan Scope. He's a rookie, but I don't think he's MLB ready for this year. This would be a 2014-2015 play. Brian Roberts, Jock, if he came to me at the end of a draft in the 23rd round and I had nothing better, I might take a chance on the off chance that maybe he gets, you know, a quarter of a season and he could steal you 10 bags for a buck and maybe hit you two or three home runs better than some of the other alternatives. But in general, Brian Roberts is not the kind of guy you, you can have on your roster anymore, really. And I think that's the way to look at it, PD, is, is an endgame play. If, you, if you're really hurting at second base and you see Roberts out there, yeah, he's, he's had the skills in the past, and if he can stay healthy, who knows? And depending on how you stand on your roster in American League-only format, if Brian Roberts comes out of spring training with the job, presuming he stays healthy through spring training, which is, of course, not a guarantee given his age and his past uh, problems with injuries, this might might not be a guy to nominate for a buck in the hopes that somebody will chase the name rather than the facts. That That's another good idea. Jock, thanks a million for talking to us. We'll catch up with you again next week. Okay, PD. Take care. Jock Thompson is the Director of News and Analysis at BaseballHQ.com. He covers the three Southern California teams for the site, and he writes regularly as well. Of course, Jock is also our man on the American League here at Baseball HQ Radio. And now for something completely different. Ordinarily, Ron Chandler's Master Notes appears at the end of our weekly show, but this week Ron has channeled his inner Alex Haley, putting together a Master Notes commentary that could become a miniseries. We're going to play this Master Notes in two parts, one now and one in the usual place near the end of the show. So here is BaseballHQ.com publisher Ron Chandler with part one of 12 Reasons Not to Draft Mike Trout. I just completed our annual First Pitch Forum conference tour and opened each session with a 15-minute rant about Mike Trout. Don't draft him, is what I told the hundreds of attendees. Just don't. Here's the complete comprehensive list of 12 reasons why. Number one, consider our perception of Trout at this time last year. All the talk was about the two top prospects, Trout and Bryce Harper. According to the scouting reports, Trout was always considered the speed prospect, while Harper was the power prospect. Consulting the Trout projections from several respected fantasy sources last year, annualized to 550 at-bats, the mean expectation was 15 homers, 31 stolen bases, and a 275 batting average. So at minimum, 2012 starts to look like it could be a power outlier, just like Jacoby Ellsbury's 32 home runs were an outlier, just like Joe Maurer's 28 home runs were an outlier. These were players who have proven not to be power hitters, but each one had an anomalous year. Bill James' plexiglass principle states that sharp improvements in performance one year are always followed by a decline in the next. Number two, from 2005 to 2011, there were 187 batters who hit at least 30 home runs in a season. Of those, only one accomplished the feat with a fly ball rate as low as Trout's 33% from last year. That was Josh Hamilton in 2008. Last year, Trout was one of five players to hit at least 30 home runs with a fly ball rate that low. Robinson Cano, Chase Headley, Prince Fielder, and Adam Jones were the others. But given the history, odds are very strong that this is not a repeatable feat. Number three, 
If Trout's power is a mirage, he has far less value as a first-rounder. Power is scarcer in today's game, so you need to stockpile it early. There is a ton of cheap speed available later in drafts, so you don't have to invest heavily in stolen bases in early rounds. For me, I'd gladly take any of the big power bats before I'd consider Trout, and that includes second-rounders like Justin Upton and Giancarlo Stanton. I know that the Ben Revere's and Juan Pierre's will be readily available many rounds later. Number four. Trout had a batting average on balls in play, a BABIP of 383. While batters establish their own BABIP baseline over time, nobody maintains a level that high. 330 maybe, 340 on the high end, more likely closer to 300. So as Trout's BABIP comes down, so will his batting average. A falling batting average doesn't happen in a vacuum. When BA drops, so will all the rest of his counting stats, including his stolen base opportunities. Number five, and about those steals. Trout showed up to camp at 240 pounds. While he will probably work some of it off this month, that weight is a huge amount to carry for a speedster. When you look for players that are 6'1", 240, you find names like Chad Billingsley, Billy Butler, and Bob Wickman. Over the past few years, the most bases any player over 230 pounds has stolen in a season was 17. To find even 20 stolen base output, you have to go down to 225 pounds, and only two players of that weight have amassed those totals recently, Hanley Ramirez and Matt Kemp. To find anyone who consistently steals 30 to 40 bases, you have to go down to 210 to 215 pounds. Number six. And suppose that 230-pound players could steal 40 bases consistently. If you're strong, get a good jump, and build up enough momentum, it's certainly possible to steal bases and track down flies in the outfield. But then momentum becomes the enemy. It's the problem of stopping. Trout's maximum effort style of play is just begging to be stopped by an immovable object like a wall, or an opposing infielder, or a knee giving out. Every player has nearly a 1 in 2 chance of ending up on the disabled list in any year. Trout's odds are probably higher. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Ron Chandler. And as I said earlier, we'll have part 2 of that Master Notes commentary in its usual place at the end of the show. This is Baseball HQ Radio. I'd like to do something called Baseball and Football, because these two things are such a part of our lives, these two activities, and yet they're so different. The object of the game is quite different. The object of the game in football is for the quarterback, otherwise known as the field general, to be on target with his aerial assault, riddling the defense by hitting his receivers with deadly accuracy in spite of the blitz, even if he has to use the shotgun. With short bullet passes and long bombs, he marches his troops into enemy territory, balancing this aerial assault with a sustained ground attack which punches holes in the forward wall of the enemy's defensive line. In baseball, the object is to go home. I'm going home. I'm going home. Baseball HQ Radio. Welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Pleasure now to be joined by Peter Kreutzer of the Tout Wars, AskRotoman.com, and the Fantasy Baseball Guide 2013. We'll talk about all those things. Peter, welcome to Baseball HQ Radio. Hi, Patrick. 
Not your first time, is it? I think it is my first time. I think a couple of years ago we we uh, talked about there was a, some kind of debate about um, the quants versus the instinctive players or something that was all. Oh yeah, you remember? Right. We I was in the this league that was uh, sponsored by Card Runners. Right. Where they they put together a bunch of uh, amateur fantasy baseball players who happen to be stock guys. I mean, financial wizards. Right. And uh, a bunch of us so-called experts in the fantasy game. And uh, we played we played a couple seasons with them. Who won? The first year, Eric Kesselman, the guy who put the league together, as so often happens, won. Um, <laughs> the second year, I, uh, I, don't re- I don't remember. I know it wasn't me. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and then they played a third year, and I, I didn't play in that, that year. Did the quants? It, it, it was a pro, though. It was, a, it was an expert, not a, not a quant. I remember the one guy wrote this very long disquisition about how he couldn't lose, but he drafted Jacoby Ellsbury with his first pick or something and, and lost. <laughs> yeah, I, they, it, was, it was very interesting, um, and it was very interesting to talk about because they felt like they had solved all the problems that um, we had addressed in fantasy baseball 15 years ago. They were, they were working on those problems now and thinking they were solving them, not realizing um, they didn't have the depth of experience to recognize what the actual issues were. And so it was interesting watching them be, go from being incredibly confident to realizing that there's a lot more uncertainty in the whole prospect than, um, than they were using in their, in their definitions of what the problems were. Well, you're down in Florida right now, away from the last gasps of the Northeast winter, and I'm up here in Waterloo, Ontario, the Baseball HQ Radio headquarters, and uh, I got three feet of snow on the ground. I'm officially jealous. Are you seeing many spring training games? I, well, I, I got to see a game yesterday. I'm down visiting my dad, so but he's an old baseball player, um, and so we went and saw the Blue Jays take on the Orioles in Sarasota yesterday. A game that was it was a beautiful day for the first six innings, and then the winds picked up and it got kind of cold. And we talked about leaving, but decided to stay. And in the bottom of the ninth inning, with two outs, Ryan Flaherty hit a three-run home run to win the game. Uh, 11 to 9. So it was a pretty exciting finish. So we're hoping um, we're going down to Port Charlotte today to see the uh, Rays play the Phillies, and we're hoping for a similar conclusion. Well, I did see the uh, same Baltimore Toronto game that you saw. I was watching on TV up here in Ontario, and uh, it was a very exciting game. You're exactly right. Uh, Peter, I know you've been to an awful lot of spring training games over the years. Do you see anything? on the field from guys that really helps you make any determinations about how well they're playing, how well they're not playing, whether they're recovering from injury? I, I can say that for a number of years I came down um, for ESPN and I, and I wrote 30 stories in 30 days from 30 different training camps. I mean, I hit some of them multiple times, but I drove all around Florida and saw a lot of spring training games and wrote a lot, of, a lot about spring training from the fantasy perspective. What I can say is that you discover players who you like. I, I remember seeing Dimitri Young before he played in the big leagues and, and real, recognizing that you know, this was a spirited and talented player. That sort of thing, people stick out and, and make you take notice of them in a, in a way. But um, a lot of the information you get, a lot of the guys who look great, Ryan Flaherty looked you know, fantastic on that pitch yesterday. He, he drove it a ton sort of into the wind. Um, a lot of that is, is misleading. He was pitching against, you know, he was sitting against a pitcher who is never going to see the major leagues, I don't think. And um, so the, I, I t- t- tend to say the, 
there's not very much talent information you get out of spring training. You do learn information. You do learn things about players' personalities and about um, position battles and how maybe the teams are looking at those things. These, this week, while I'm here, a lot of the players are not here because they're in the WBC. So it's uh, it's a kind of hodgepodge rostering at this point. Overall, in general, you've been at this a long time. As an analyst, how do you use, if not so much, the performances you're seeing on the field? What about the spring training stats themselves? I, I don't pay any attention to them at all. Um, I had a friend who um, many years ago pointed out that the guy who is most surprising in hitting home runs in spring training um, is often a surprising guy during the year. And that's the one thing that I, I take a look at. If you have a, a I, and I, I don't have a good example right now, I don't remember who it was last year. I don't think it worked out last year. But um, the, in the top two or three home run hitters in the league in, in spring training, one of them is probably a guy that you didn't expect to be there. And that guy is often, he often has a, a good year. It's a little, little uh, rule of thumb to take, take note of. Probably, probably not really true, but, but I like it. It's sort of like a rabbit's foot. At BaseballHQ.com, I think they've published uh, a... Uh research report that said stolen bases can be pretty indicative in spring training because it might indicate the team willingness to run and, and pick out the guys that they're going to let run and going to have the green light and so on? I, I'm, sure that that, um, I'm sure that there are things you can pick up that, uh, that work that way, but there are uh, an equal number of uh, false positives, right. places where a, a guy's given the green light, runs a lot, and then you know, doesn't actually get the job for the, all the obvious reasons why you thought that would be the case in the first place. So. Um, I mean, one thing I, I noticed yesterday, Brian Roberts, um, you know, looked very agile in the field. He was moving really well. That's, you know, that's a helpful bit of information. He, he didn't look comfortable at the plate, but um, he looked like he, was, he, he wasn't struggling physically, as best I could tell. Um, and that, that could be quite meaningful for fantasy drafts this year. Yeah, we talked about uh, Brian Roberts with Jock Thompson in our American League report, and uh, th- those are the kind of things that are interesting, uh, return from injury and just getting a look at a guy to see if he's moving around pretty well. Peter, you've been playing fantasy baseball a long time. You play in a lot of experts' leagues. I always like to ask our guests, do you still play in a home league? My first league was started um, at Inside Sports Magazine by John Walsh, who is the Grand Poobah at ESPN, and uh, it had columnists and guys from the accounting department. Pete Axtone was in the league. Uh, Mike Francesa was in there when he was just a, he was like a researcher at, at the magazine. So that was my original home league. It, it was a goofy formula, format. Um, I played there for a number of years, and one of the guys in that league um, invited me into the American Dream League, which was the first American League fantasy league. Um, that it was started by Glenn Wagner and some of the original rotisserie guys. Wow. And that's become my home league. Um, it, it, they're not guys I went to college with. They're guys I met in this league, but they're, um, but they're, we've been playing together for, I've been playing with them for 22 years. So it's, you know, it's, it's old time. Yeah, that's really cool when you can keep a league together. I think my main home league, I'll be going into year number 22 or something like that as well. Uh, do you play any of the big national formats, NFBC or the salary cap type games? I never have. Um, I, I love the idea of the NFBC. Um, I, it, it really, I find it appealing. I um, don't find the gambling aspect of it that appealing, so I've never gotten involved. But I, you know, I have lots of friends who play who love the high stakes. You know, if you win, you win a lot of money, and that's yeah. that's nice. I, you know, I find like the the cost of winning a lot of money to be 
high, and uh, and it's it's a busy. I, I'm in a lot of leagues, so I haven't done that. Um, but I, I I guess I should say I, I'm kind of jealous and totally respect people who are playing in it and working hard at it because I think it's a great format. And and what about the salary cap games like Diamond Mind and those things? I've never gotten into them. I don't know anything about them. Um, I. I know people who love those games too, and uh, but it's just not something I've ever done. I, I'm I'm kind of an old school rotisserie guy. Yeah, me too. Uh, Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Dava with Peter Kreutzer from Tau Wars and AskRotoman.com and the Fantasy Baseball Guide. And Peter, let's talk about Tau Wars. We're getting ready for the 2013 edition. When is this year's draft? The uh, American League and Mixed League drafts are on the uh, 23rd of March. The National League draft is on the 24th. And this year we're introducing a new league, a, a mixed draft league, which is actually drafting this coming Monday, the, um, March 11th, at 6 p.m. And uh, it'll be a first time for, for that with um, some old, some familiar faces and a lot of new faces, too. The new mixed uh, dra- straight draft league, is that an online league? The, the straight draft league is, is going to be handled online. It's a way of getting people who couldn't get to New York for the other drafts, and it's also a format that is... Um, you know, useful to people, sure. and uh, we thought it was time that we, we covered it, because uh, our mixed league, I think there's a lot of information that comes out of the auction, but not a lot of people play mixed league auction. So it's, the mixed league auction is a good format to play, but as a, as a um, setter of intelligence, the, the draft is probably more useful for people, and we get to do it earlier. So the draft is taking place online. Is there some way that ordinary folks out there in Dubuque, Iowa, and Regina, Saskatchewan can go online and follow along as the draft picks are made, maybe follow some of the strategy and so on? Yes. In fact, there, there is. If you go to um, toutwars.com, uh, Jay, there'll be links to a live blog that Jason Collette will be running during the, uh, during the actual draft. We're going to see how that works. Um, we're trying to get the... Uh, Trying to convert the draft feed into a into a syndicated feed that'll feed into the chat room, uh, the cover it live chat room. So the chat will be going on and it'll keep reporting which players are taken. So that'll be and everybody can watch that. We hope we get that done. If not, um, somebody is going to sit there and type it in as fast as they can. There will also be a live spreadsheet linked to from towers.com that um, Ryan Carey of Masters Ball will be um, updating, so you can see which players are on which teams. Um, as they go along, at which positions as they go along. Last year, Peter, the proceedings in the uh, in-person drafts in New York City aired on SiriusXM. Fantasy owners, uh, fantasy owners, <coughs> excuse me. So, fantasy owners could listen in on the drafts. Uh, can they do that again this year? And how else might they be able to follow those drafts? Sirius will be doing the. Um, will be covering the drafts on the, their radio again, and um, and for people who have SiriusXM, that's that's a great way to listen. Um, and then we also will have the live um, the live blog going on during the proceedings and the live spreadsheet. So um, Jason Collette, again, will be doing the NL and the Mixed League live blog, and I do the AL live blog. And so we keep people up with what's going on. We can um, t- we talk about values. Anybody can um, get in and, and ask questions and, and comment, and uh, we have a lot of fun with it. It would be a lot of fun, and it's pretty informative, too. Uh, the biggest Tell Wars news in the offseason, Peter, was the decision by uh, the leagues to change the mixed league from batting average as a category to on-base percentage. Uh, how was that decision made, and, and why was it made? We don't want to be conservative about the way that we play the game. We really want it to be a challenge. We look at it as a, a league of, of people who write about the game more than 
fantasy experts. There are you know players who we know are incredible players who don't write about the game. They have they can play in the NFBC and other types of games. Tower Wars is really meant to be um, a way of incorporating what writers do with playing this game that we all love and uh, you know quite a bit and uh, and want to promote. And so the so our feeling was that. Um, Batting average is not the right stat. It was the right stat when the game started, but um, that it was it, that as we as we've developed our understanding of baseball has developed. On base percentage is a much better stat to reflect the value of hitters, and it because it incorporates walks, which is a skill that hitters have that is um, otherwise not valued in in um, the fantasy game. So uh, we decided this year to launch it in the mixed leagues. Because uh, mostly because last year we'd incorporate we made another radical change in incorporating turning the fifth outfielder in on the AL and NL rosters into uh, the swingman who could be the, and basically any position or pitcher. Um, we didn't want to like keep. We wanted to we we decided to try it as a uh, trial, not really a trial. We got the mixed league into it this year. Next year, unless there's um, Unless there's a, uh, I don't know. Next year, I think we're going to move it to the single leagues. We're not announcing that, but I think that's the plan. If it is, it'll probably cause a bit of an uproar, as the announcement about the mixed league did. There was quite a long email debate, quite impassioned, with some people taking sides for and against the proposition. And it's a little hard to f- understand, I guess, Peter, that we count walks against pitchers through whip. So why not include walks as a benefit to batters who get them through uh, OBP? We agree with that. I mean, the um, Ron Chandler, Jeff Erickson, Laura Michaels, and I um, totally—we all are totally on board with that. We all play in the league, the um, XFL, that has used on-base percentage instead of batting average for the last eleven years, and I think we can all attest that it is a better, more nuanced game using valuing players who take walks more and. and players who have outsized batting averages for no apparent reason less. Um, the objection to it, some of it was that we were adopting a rule that isn't widely um, adopted, and to that the answer is easy. We don't, um, we, we, don't mean to be, we don't mean to follow what other people do. We are very much trying to create a game that we think other people should follow our rules because they're, they're better, and if this doesn't work, we're happy to, to roll it back. It also seems fair to say that, you know, if, if adding in a particular stat for, for category purposes changes the valuation of the players, you could make that same argument about all of them, really. We have a stolen base category. That gives Juan Pierre a lot of value that he probably doesn't really have. And gosh, uh, saves isn't really that sensible of a category in the great scheme of things either. As soon as we pick any category, really, we place a valuation on a player who's good at that or not good at that. Exactly, and uh, the, I think the, the genius of the categories that were, that were originally used and any evolution that we try to make with them should keep this in mind, that they're not meant to reflect true player value. If they were, we would be using you know, some variety of war or, sure. or something, and, uh, and we would be unhappy. It wouldn't, help our, it wouldn't help us play the game better. The categories make the game dynamic and lively, but what they really need to do is, they should reflect filling out a roster with players of different talents. So Juan Pierre, maybe he's overvalued because steals are 
too big a category in the general scheme of things. But we don't. But that's part of playing the game. That's we're not trying to reflect real baseball values, but we are trying to allow teams to to play better by reflecting real baseball skills that are valued in the game. And that's why I think it's important to value hitter bases on balls. Um, we could have done it, I suppose, by adding a, a bases on balls category, but on base percentage um, is more descriptive and um, it's kind of the same thing. And batting average would be would then be uh, batting average is, is less descriptive. It's more variant. And uh, it's a, I think Every, I think everybody's going to be happy. I always say this when when I think a change is the right thing. I say I think when you try it, it's going to be you're going to like it. And sometimes they do, and sometimes. And they don't. batting average is part of on base percentage, after all. So if a guy who has a good batting average is going to retain that value in an on base percentage league, if he draws some walks, he's a little more valuable. That's all it seems to me. Peter, you mentioned the fact that you don't view tout wars as as a sort of prescriptive thing, but as more of a, a way for owners out there watching to pick up ideas and stuff like that. How do you think the home fantasy player or NFBC player or salary cap player, whatever the case might be, can best take advantage of Tout Wars and other experts' drafts? The major appeal, of course, are the prices that come out of the draft. Um, between the CBS draft, which is t- it takes place in the, the end of February, and then the labor draft, which is in the first week of March, and then Tout Wars, which reflects a lot of the spring training, much more than the others, reflects the spring training information that is found. You can find a, a consensus about what players are expected to do this year. And I think, so I think we all serve a purpose in terms of setting values, and that's that's setting what what an expected value is, what what the so-called experts think a guy is worth. Um, so I think that in terms of utility, that's the the big usefulness of the league. But for the player, I think the real value is in watching what the the expert players do when they play the game, and to find techniques and things that um, they. That are that are practiced. How people approach their fab bidding, how people um, a- approach their roster issues, whether they do address their roster issues. I think the best players of this game um, are in incredible teachers. People like Larry Schechter and and uh, Jason Gray used to used to be. Uh, if you watch how he plays the game, you can pick up a lot of techniques and a lot of ways to approach. Um, Strategies that that will uh, be eye opening and make you a better base, uh, better fantasy baseball player. Peter, you're also the editor in chief of the Fantasy Baseball Guide 2013. Uh, before we talk about the content and other material that's in the magazine, how long have you been putting it out? This is year 14 of the of the Fantasy Baseball Guide with the, with the year number, and uh, for the last I think 12, it's been called the Professional Edition, which was something the publisher added because the name was otherwise somewhat um, generic. So people call us the professional edition, which doesn't mean anything, but um, <laughs> but it, it, we're the only ones that are the professional edition. What's new in the magazine for 2013, and what will be familiar to past readers? We changed the way that the position-by-position position sections worked last year with a lot more notes, strategy notes, for each of the different formats for play. And I, I expanded that this year. Um, we have a big section in the middle of the magazine called Strategy Land, which is all new um, content each year, and uh, so we have some different approaches to that this year. Um, and the, the big technical change this year was, uh, I think, some mechanical improvement on on the projections, which are reflected in the um, 
in the player profile pages, which have the projections for the players who are given draft values. Um, the, in the magazine, because it comes out relatively early, um, those are not necessarily massaged big time. But the, um, so they often reveal trends about a player's um, talents that might be of interest. Uh, and and those are, I think those are improved this year. Before we get into the magazine's content, I just want to say I find the design of it to be really excellent. This is a beautiful visual publication for people who enjoy a really well-designed magazine. Who does the design? It's the work of a designer in New York City, in, in Brooklyn actually, um, named Brian Meisner. And the publisher hired him to uh, rework the visuals uh, a couple of years ago. And he's an avid fantasy player, which is uh, the big change from the early years of the magazine. The designer was the designer um, was very talented, but didn't play. Brian has made some uh, excellent additions in terms of the organization of the content um, and the and the look of it, which is much improved and upgraded because uh, the publisher decided to spend some more money, which is helpful. Yeah, it's always good, and it is really well organized, especially the player projections uh, section. is It flows smoothly. It's really easy to get. Uh, it's it's very, very well done. So next time you see him, tell him, tell him I, I tip my hat to him. Oh, I would. I'm not wearing a hat. This year's edition, you mentioned Strategy Land. In this year's edition, the first part of that is an interview about the misperceptions about prospects involving a devilishly handsome podcast host who shall remain nameless for reasons of modesty. And the second part is a, yeah, the second part is an interview roundtable with three proven winners: Don Drucker, who's won the XFL more than once; Alex Patton's a multiple champion of the American Dream League. You mentioned, and Larry Schechter, who's going to be our guest next week on Baseball HQ Radio. He's a two-time tout champ in the AL League, as one other experts draft. This is a great idea, and I'm wondering how did you come up with this idea? It's kind of necessity, being the mother of invention. Um, I started the Strategy Land section uh, with. Essays called Strategies of Champions. And I invited um, all the people who've won Tout Wars and all the people who've won labor over the last uh, 12, 12 years or 13 years to um, contribute short 500, 600 word essays about what they did, what they um, tried to do going into the season, what happened, and, and why they became champions that, that particular year. I thought um, my thinking was that it would highlight all the different ways that people come to win. And, and we would have, we had some great um, synchronicity with, you know, one year somebody said it's really important to take closers early, and then somebody else said, you know, it's really important not to ever take closers. That's the sort of thing that, this, I mean, that's the kind of um, interaction that I wanted because I, there isn't any one particular way to win. It's really being able to use the players that you draft and what happens to them and turn them into gold by doing the right things during the season. Um, but what happened is, is that in the last four of the last five, three of the last four years, Don Drucker has won the XFL. And the last three years, um, Alex Patton had won the um, American Dream League. And Schechter won Tau Wars AL the last two years. And he had won um, the Mixed League Tau Wars for three years in a row somewhat before that. So it, it was, I was feeling like we were, I was getting the same guys writing, have, writing the same sort of essay, and that it would be much more interesting to find out, have them talk among themselves about what, it, what they do that makes them winners in the, in the context of their different leagues. So 
So, and that, that's what we did. I sort of moderated a um, discussion, an email discussion between them over the course of a couple of weeks, and then I edited it down. Um, so I didn't get in all the best parts, but I got in the ones that were most relevant. The meat of the magazine is in the player projections, the commentaries, uh, 120 pages or so of those. And first, I'm going to ask you something that kind of relates to something I asked you before. How do you think readers should best use or apply the projections to the drafts because of the time lag? The projections are really there, I think, to um, give an idea of the, the shape of a player's talent more than anything else. I, I think projections are not very useful in terms of actually putting together your fantasy team. It, the projections don't matter. They're, um, I, I mean, they, they matter. They, they are a way of looking at what a player can do or, or is expected to do. Um, I put a lot of effort into incorporating objective, empirical information into the first pass of the projections. And those are, that's more or less what run, it runs in the magazine for those players. Um, so I, it, it, it shows, the, the information shows up if a guy hits a, seemed to be a lot, really lucky in home runs the, last year, he, he's not going to bump up as much in home runs as you might expect. He's not going to match last year's numbers. Um, but Mostly, they're just part of the profile. I, I would, I think the bid prices are much more important um, in terms of player evaluation. Um, if you play in a different format, you might want to use the, the projections to help help you rank the players. But um, it's really much more about the what you can expect your league mates to pay for a player in terms of money or in terms of draft round, and what you would like to pay for them. That's a much more important relationship than um, you know whether he's projected to hit 17 home runs or 22 home runs. I don't think that is a meaningful distinction. Every projection includes a comment by you or your staff, but you also invited outside experts to weigh in with what you call picks and pans. This has been going on for a while. Uh, what was the thinking when you first got into this, and, and you've kept it going for a long time? People have a, a lot of fun with it. It started out as a way of getting some um, point-counterpoint in the magazine, and uh, and People had and people, you know, like showing off. They like making their picks and their pants. They they have some players that they make can make good jokes about, or it's, so it's a, it's kind of a, a hodgepodge of, of um, guys who are expected to pit, click, guys who are who are, people think are overrated. And um, I know a lot of people, and I've grown to know a lot of people in this writers in this business, and um, and they are all. They all very graciously um, contribute. Uh, Baseball HQ has it. Ron contributes from year to year, depending on when it, when we when our deadline falls in relation to the forecasters' um, schedule. But Doug Dennis, I send out the notice. Doug Dennis, within two hours, has his list into me. And and uh, Phil Phil Hertz um, is a great contributor um, with a lot of very thoughtful ideas about players around the, the league. So it's it's a way of getting. Um, we write our comments uh, about the players. But it's a way of getting uh, other opinions about the players into the same pages and, um, and, and have a bit of fun with it, too. After the projections, there's another neat section where you have you organized a mock draft and then had the experts talk about what strategies they used for the mock and whether those strategies worked out. Uh, again, I'm going to ask, how should readers use those guides and, and uh, make the most use out of this wisdom? My goal for it, I think the value of it is in, um, in witnessing decisions through other people's eyes. Like, you can, if, the, if you just had the picks for each of the players, you would, you would have one reaction or another reaction, but it, there wouldn't be much to it. The, 
the little one-liners that the um, everybody contributes for every one of their picks tells you a little bit what they're thinking. You know, sometimes sometimes it's funny. Sometimes they're bereft. You know, they can't believe uh, that they. I mean, I, I took. I think I wrote one this year. I, I think I took Carlos Ruiz about five five rounds too early. I just sort of went brain dead for that for that moment. Um, and so there's there's a little little bits of information, a little bit about the flow of the draft, a little bit about you know oh there there was a run on catchers or the, it's a 15 team mixed league, so it's it's pretty shallow. It's um, and at the same time it shows. It has the ebb and flow of a of an actual draft. Um, we get together. It's a it's kind of a gas. Everybody gets together in uh, December and and uh, in chats during the whole time and talks about baseball and the picks and and uh, it's you know we have fun doing it. But I think the real information comes from to uh, help the reader get into our heads. You mentioned it was a mixed uh, league 15 team draft, which is pretty shallow, which a couple of participants said was an important factor in a lot of their decision making, uh, particularly with regard to scarcity. How do you think people should consider the scarcity game and play it in their leagues? In a shallow league, you need to go for where the um, you need to go for the extraordinary talents who are available at any particular time in the in the draft. Once you get into the third and fourth rounds, I think you can reach for by position then if if you're because there will be outfielders later, but in this in this mock draft last this this in this past issue, um, Tim McLeod he waited until uh, like the twenty twentieth twenty first round to take a shortstop and a second baseman, and um, and I think he there's some risk in that, but if those if those guys uh, work out, he's going to have that much better a team, and he got players who could work out who have potential upside at that point. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio. Patrick David here with Peter Kreutzer from AskRotoman.com, Tout Wars, and the Fantasy Guide 2013 Professional Edition. Peter, I always ask our featured guests to give us some picks and pans. Let's start with some picks for 2013. Who's an American League hitter you think is going to have a big year this year? Patrick, I think um, Alex Avila is a guy who was he was uh, hurt last year and um, struggled and was coming off of a fantastic year, and I, th- I think he's being undervalued right now. He's, he's going to be a better player this year than people are expecting. On the National League side, a hitter is going to have a big year? Darren Ruff is, is a, um, you know, turning 27. He's a, a power hitter. He's, uh, there isn't a clear path to full playing time, but he doesn't need full playing time to be a very, very productive player, and he's going, you know, for a couple bucks right now um, as, a, as a late game pickup i think he could be very surprising and helpful and i guess that could change if his role changes over spring training uh how about on the pitching side an american league pitcher you think is going to have a surprisingly good year the, the kind of guy i look for doesn't take big losses when he has bad years and then you know has potential to have a better year um the guy, the guy who I, I don't really it's just kind of crazy but i'm going to throw out joe blanton as a guy who um my projections say he's going to be a little bit surprising this year given how um, troublesome the last two years have been for him. And a National League pitcher? Well, I think Mike Fiers is a guy who finished the year last year on a on a on the wrong foot and but after a after a hot start and I think but I think the overall impression should really be one of the average of what he did which was quite excellent and good and since he's a, he's, he's going as an end game type of guy right now he's the type of guy who might actually if he gets 160, 180 innings, could be a really good earner for just a you know a 
five six dollar investment in the, late in the in the draft. That's really useful, especially for owners who like to take the approach of getting your starting pitching later rather than earlier in the draft. A guy like Fires is an ideal candidate because you want a guy whose baseline is sort of right around where you get him but has that good upside. Uh, let's go over to the other side of the coin, selections for dejections, I call them. Uh, how about an American League hitter you think is going to be overdrafted this year and disappoint his owners? The, the big overdraft so far this year is, is Victor Martinez, who's coming back from missing a whole year. Guys who are his age who miss a whole year very often don't come back to their former level of achievement. The missing a year, missing, you know, getting out of shape, whatever, it's, it becomes that much harder as you move into your mid-30s to, to regain it. Right now, I think people are paying for Victor Martinez as if it's just going to be a hiccup, not something that he's going to have to overcome. Um, so I think he's being overpaid for right now. What you say makes a lot of sense. How about a National League hitter you think is going to be a disappointment of that kind? Justin Upton is a guy who every year we make excuses for why he didn't do it the year before. He's really talented. I, you know, I, I, I'm not saying that he's not ever going to do it again, but, um, but I think right now he's being paid as if this is the year, and I think he's shown enough times that he, he doesn't really necessarily care to do that. So the, the narrative of being with his brother, being in Atlanta, and all of that being helpful and him breaking out this year... I think if you if you can get him for thirty, you know that's great. You're gonna your your downside risk isn't that huge, but to pay up into the mid thirties for him at this point is is really to expose yourself to it, the risk that he's maybe there's something there's some smoke there where where there or maybe there's some fire where we've seen smoke over the last few years. It's an interesting point. People do decide that they want to draft a guy, and then they'll make up the reasons afterwards. Uh, American League pitcher, you think is going to be an overdrafted disappointment? Matt Moore is hugely talented, but he walks a lot of guys. And right now, people are drafting him as if he doesn't walk a lot of guys. I think, you know, I think um, there might be development in his future. He might learn how to get over it, and that that'll be great. But if but if there's not necessarily a reason why it's going to be this year. I think he's being overdrafted. Also, a Matt Moore risk, I think, is that if he doesn't start doing that, the uh, the Rays have alternatives in their rotation and in their farm system, and you you have to wonder how long the, the organization will put up with a continued high level of walks because they usually don't. National League pitcher, you think, is going to disappoint? The, the, the name that popped out of me when, as I was going through um, my list, and, and this is I've been a big proponent of Jordan Zimmerman the last two years. I, I you know I think I made him a a pick to click two years ago. He was the, one of my most highly rated pitchers with the proviso of the innings pitch limit and all that. Um, and, and he's worked out beautifully. He, made, he makes me feel kind of like a genius. But um, what I noticed this year is the, um, the projection for him is, is showing some numbers that are not so good. And, I, and I'm not sure why that is. I'm just throwing him out there as I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bid him up, but I'm not going to go crazy for him because I think there's something there that I'm that I can't explain that I'm I'm just going to be a little bit wary about. All right, Peter, thanks very much for doing this. Some great insight there. The uh, Fantasy Sports Guide 2013 Professional Edition is available at newsstands and anywhere you buy good magazines. You can also get it online. You can order a variety of formats at thefantasysportsguide.com. And where else can people catch up with what you're doing, Peter? Alex Patton and I sell rotisserie baseball software. You can find the link at software.askrotoman.com. Um, Tout Wars, please join us at Tout Wars for the, the drafts and uh, for the updated stories and 
people's uh, reactions to the draft, um, and hopefully all season long there'll be some good information there, um, especially Masters Ball summary of uh, the of the Fab transactions each week, which is entertaining and and I think very helpful. Uh, I think that should do it. <laughs> it should do it indeed. Fantastic. Thanks again very much. Peter Kreutzer is one of the commissioners of Tout Wars. He is the editor-in-chief of the excellent Fantasy Baseball Guide 2013 Professional Edition, now available as a magazine at newsstands and all those online methods Peter talked about. He takes questions at AskRotoman.com. He sells draft software. Just a great guy. Our regular commentaries are next. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio. This is Ron Chandler. As a listener to this Baseball HQ Radio podcast, you enjoy getting the winner's edge from BaseballHQ.com's information and insight. But the podcast is just the surface. Now I invite you to dive into BaseballHQ.com and to get the complete range of upgraded news, analysis, strategy, and tools for fantasy success. With your subscription, you'll get the latest on probable pitchers, daily matchups, and depth charts, the latest gaming strategies, extensive minor league scouting, up-to-the-minute player skills analysis, online tools you can tailor to your league, and our unsurpassed fantasy baseball research. Joining the BaseballHQ.com community also includes our subscriber forums, sharing the wisdom of thousands of other serious fantasy players and without the name-calling. Plus, we've upgraded our news feed to get you the information you need faster than ever before. Find out about our new flexible subscription plans with a draft prep package or year-long access. Come dive into BaseballHQ.com today. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Time now for our regular weekly commentaries. We have BaseballHQ.com publisher Ron Chandler on deck with part two of his master notes. And right now leading off, it's the Minor League Minute. BaseballHQ.com minor league expert Rob Gordon telling us about Boston shortstop prospect Xander Bogarts. The Boston Red Sox Xander Bogarts continues to rocket up the top prospect ranks. Coming into 2012, scouts and talent evaluators agreed that Bogarts had all the tools to be a star, but felt that it would take some time for everything to come together. On our top 100 prospect list from last year, we had Bogarts at number 79. Clearly there was talent, but also some work to do. A year later and Bogarts has already reached AA and is now the 11th best prospect in baseball. All he did in 2012 was hit 307 with a 373 on base percentage and a very impressive 523 slugging percentage. He launched 37 doubles and 20 home runs last year between high A and double A and was the youngest position player in the Eastern League. Defensively, Bogarts doesn't have great range or speed, but he reads the ball well, has good hands, good footwork, and a strong throwing arm. Most scouts believe that he has the tools to stick it short once he reaches the majors. At the plate, few middle infielders have as much potential. Bogarts has plus power, makes consistent contact, and is willing to use the entire field. Bogarts can be overly aggressive at times and frequently chases breaking balls out of the strike zone, but he continues to work hard and has shown the ability to make necessary adjustments. Bogarts will likely start 2013 back at AA Portland, but he has the potential to be a middle-of-the-order run producer and should be part of the Red Sox' long-term plans to retool and could be in the majors as early as 2014. 
For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Baseball HQ Minor League Analyst Rob Gordon. Another way BaseballHQ.com subscribers get the winner's edge is with comprehensive coverage of the minor leagues. All season long, Rob, Jeremy Deloney, Colby Garropy, and Chris Maloney have reports and updates on all the top prospects, moves within organizations, daily call-ups reports, and everything you need to keep tabs on rising stars. Jeremy this week has a look at the third base prospects. That's online right now at BaseballHQ.com. Hey, those minor league drafts are coming up. If you need to know your prospects because it helps you stay competitive in your league, BaseballHQ.com has you covered. Now it's Master Notes with BaseballHQ.com publisher Ron Chandler and part two of his 12 reasons not to draft Mike Trout. Number seven. There are some who argue that Trout could maintain or, God help us, even improve his numbers because I have a full six months of at-bats. But last year's five months of amazing performance wasn't even real. It was an amazing three months. He was otherworldly in May, June, and July, but he batted just 284 in August and 257 in September, with a similarly declining power trend. His OPS in September was a mortal 835. So it appears the league was already catching up to him. As baseball analysts, we all know that we would never forecast the future based on one season, so we certainly shouldn't do it based on three months. Number eight, and don't think that opposing teams haven't been spending the offseason reviewing films, scouting reports, and trying to uncover a weakness they can exploit. While not nearly at Trout's level, remember how highly we had valued players like Eric Hosmer and Brett Laurie coming into 2012. They both disappointed as sophomores. Well, this is a game all about adjustments, and we have yet to see how Trout adjusts when the league catches up in year number two. Number nine, still, most analysts are projecting some regression. The problem is, a season like 2012, when it is filled with so much noise already, cannot be used as a point of reference. You can't be taken in by the recency bias and project 2013 by regressing Trout 10%, 20%, or even 30% from last year's numbers. Last year's numbers are faulty. You have to start 2013 as a blank slate and build a projection from the ground up based on better measures of underlying skill. Admittedly, that is tough to do because all we have is 2012 data, but it's bad data. Garbage in, garbage out. Number 10, and that 2012 season was not only incredible, it was historic. With one additional stolen base, Trout would have become the only the third player in the history of Major League Baseball to post a 30-homer, 50-stolen base season. The only two players to ever accomplish that feat were Barry Bonds and Eric Davis. Projecting a repeat or near-repeat of an historic performance would be unprecedented. Neither Bonds nor Davis were ever able to repeat that 30-50 feat, and what's more... They both did it with several years of experience under their belts, both at age 25. Number 11, and Trout, age 21. Nobody has ever put up numbers like he did at that age. One argument is that he can only get better. Is that even physically possible? Is there not some ceiling to statistical performance? Why don't we just project him to post a 50-70 season? If anything, age 21 might be considered more of an obstacle. I don't know about you, but if I had pulled off an historic feat of any kind at age 21, I might have gotten a little cocky, a little overconfident. Trout is a young kid thrust into a new season filled 
with extraordinary expectation. Let's see how he handles that pressure. Number 12. And yet, given all the above, he is still going off the board at number one in many drafts. He is still getting bid into the 40s and 50s in auctions. Are there no other players with first-round earning potential that are better picks? Players who have more than one year's track record? Trout finished as the number one player in baseball last year. Over the past decade, only one player has ever repeated as number one in consecutive seasons, Albert Pujols in 2008 and 2009 at ages 28 and 29. When I say not to draft Mac Trout, it's not because he's not talented. He could well have a Hall of Fame career ahead of him. It's because his current market price guarantees that there is no way he will return fair value. Your early round $40 players are the cornerstones that you build your team around. You cannot afford for them to return less than par value. And there are so many negative variables working against Trout, it's hard to see how he can be a good investment at his current market price. Now, if you own Trout in a keeper league, needless to say, you should protect him. This is not a shot at the merit of owning him. And at the price he's probably being kept at, it becomes a no-brainer. This is just a huge red flag when it comes to his short-term potential compared to his exorbitant market value in redraft leagues. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Ron Chandler. Ron Chandler's Fanalytics column appears every Friday on BaseballHQ.com. This week, Ron writes about a reader favorite. It's the annual draft radar alert. Last week, it was the hitters. This week, it's the pitchers you need to know about. You can get Ron's Master Notes delivered to your email inbox every Friday with the free Fantasy Friday e-newsletter. Just go to BaseballHQ.com and sign up. Of course, Ron also has his Master Notes here at Baseball HQ Radio, sometimes twice, every week. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for the week of March the 8th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 8 of the 2013 Fantasy Baseball season. I also want to thank our guests today, starting with Tout Wars co-founder and current commissioner, Ask Rotoman expert Peter Kreutzer. He's one of the many nice guys you meet in this business, and be sure to check out the Fantasy Baseball Guide 2013 Professional Edition on newsstands now or from the website. I also want to thank our regular guests from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our League Watch analysts were Harold Nichols and Jock Thompson. Our minor league analyst was Rob Gordon, and our Master Notes commentator was BaseballHQ.com publisher Ron Chandler. Be sure to check out BaseballHQ.com for these features. Doug Dennis's bullpens column has some end-game targets you can look at. Ray Murphy has the always popular straight draft guide, and there's a ton of material coming up out of the HQ archives. Plus, we have all our regular features on playing time, buyer's guides, facts and flukes, and much more. I'm Patrick Davitt. I have a research piece online right now about the teams that do well at keeping their players off the DL and the teams that don't. I hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums as well. Also remember you can check out Baseball HQ on Facebook and on our Twitter feed at BaseballHQ. And my own personal Twitter feed is at Patrick Davitt. Please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio. Take a second to go to iTunes and rate our show. Help people find out about us and keep us going. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again next week with multiple Tout Wars champion Larry Schechter on another edition of the podcast with fantasy baseball intelligence for winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long.
Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.